This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world. Built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome to the election edition of the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Folks, how are you today? I hope you all got out there and voted for government because you voted for government no matter who you voted for. Any of those guys you vote for immediately end up becoming government employees if they're not already, if they're the incumbent. Most of them came out of the government to begin with, folks. I mean, come on, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to burst your bubble here, but I am post-political. 2016 was the last election I voted in, and it will be the last election I ever vote in in my entire life life short of us forming a breakaway civilization and starting over then i will actively be involved with that government but right now i just can't do it folks i can't do it i mean look at pennsylvania ladies and gentlemen you end up with what fetterman and oz the election was rigged before the election even happened look at your choices you think that's a choice folks fetterman or oz I mean, honestly, think about that for a minute. So the election was already rigged for you there in Pennsylvania. For everyone else, I mean, come on, ladies and gentlemen. We've reached a point where it should be glaringly obvious that none of the candidates anywhere are going to do anything to restore liberty, freedom, human autonomy, prosperity, and the ability to thrive in this system. They have no interest in doing that. Is anyone running against the 
World Economic Forum. Is anyone talking about how technocracy is already here? Is anyone talking about the transhumanist experiments, the transitional human experiments, the post-human, anti-human engineering of humanity out of existence experiments that our government is funding, that our military is funding, that the DOD is funding, that the DARPA Brain Initiative is funding? Is anyone talking about the war on humanity that has been waged, that has been waged against we mere mortal humans? No. No one is talking about that, folks. Nothing will change, whether it's red, it's blue, it's purple, or anything in between any of those three colors, folks. Nothing. Nothing will change because either one, the people running have no clue about what's really going on or they are part of it. They are part of it and they are helping to continue to drive forward this technocratic system. Is anyone out there explaining to you that the climate hustle is a complete and total lie, not just something coming out of the left, but for the purposes of continuing to move us toward a full-blown technocracy? No, they aren't. I don't even have to look this stuff up, folks. I don't. I don't even look at candidates anymore or politicians anymore. They are liars. They are puppets. They are owned. Look at Blake Masters at J.D. Vance, completely owned by Peter Thiel, completely owned. Literally work for him, take money from him. He runs their campaigns, completely owned. And their companies where they're working for Thiel are completely embedded with the government. Government contracts up to their eyeballs. So they are government. So you're voting for the government to win the election that the government is asking you to vote in. And everyone gets so happy. People have been sending me pictures all day, uh, family members, Fox News conservatives that uh, break my balls that I don't vote anymore. They send me a picture of their I voted sticker. The same people that will complain about all the children getting participation trophies. What the hell do you think that sticker is? It's a participation trophy. Thank you for participating in today's live action role play theater called election day this is live action role play to make you believe to throw out the illusion of choice i have a choice i voted today well what did you vote for i voted for the republican well what did he say he was gonna do he said he's gonna do this 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 you know who i'll vote for i'll vote for the guy who says he will do nothing I want someone to run for Congress with a giant billboard up and down the streets. I've been seeing them for months now. I don't care if it's at a local level, uh, a state level, a federal level, but a candidate that runs that says, I will do nothing. I want them to promise that they will literally win the election. They will then be sworn in a couple of months later, and then they will go home. And they will just sit at home and eat potato chips all day and not show up. I don't want to see them on TV. I don't want them to have social media. I just want them to go away. It's like John Smith. I promise that if I win, I will go away. And then they just don't show up. They don't do anything. Because when government is voting and they're doing things, they are only limiting your freedoms and your liberties. 
They are not giving, they are not expanding liberty and freedom. They are taking it away with every vote they make. So I want someone who promises to do nothing, zero. In fact, the perfect candidate would be someone who says, look, guys, I have lung cancer, fatal lung cancer. And if you vote for me, at least according to my doctor, if you vote for me, chances are I will drop dead within a day or two of being sworn in. And then my seat will be vacant for the two-year, four-year, whatever the term is, and no one will be there. No one will be voting, debating, or showing up on television. No one will be doing town halls. You won't be able to get a hold of me because I will be dead. You know what? I would vote for that guy. I would I would actually get off my ass and go down and vote for that guy. But until that happens, I want nothing to do with it. I mean, is there anyone anywhere running on the platform that they will shut down the Department of Education? They will get the government out of the Department of Education. Anyone out there saying that they are going to shut down the IRS? They are going to close the Federal Reserve? No, none of these people exist. Anyone out there saying that they are going to get us out of all these international treaties, that they are are going to get us out of the climate change hustle. No, none of these people exist. It's the same old BS. They just use the GOP talking points either from the state party, if you're running at the local or state level, or from the federal party, uh, the, the GOP, if you're running at the congressional level, the Senate level, uh, level and stuff like that. That's it. That's it. They just use the talking points. So none of these people are coming to save you. It doesn't matter if the red or the blue are in control. It's all a facade. The Constitutional Republic is dead. We are under a technocracy. We explained that in episode 83. I think Howard Scott, the founder of the technocracy, was pretty damn forthcoming in 1965 when he wrote the letter that we analyzed where he said that the technocracy was this school of thought. It was this school of science. And so the scientists and the engineers would be trained under this ideology and basically be developing the technocracy all around us at all times. And that's what we're seeing through all the smart products, Internet of Things, Internet of Bodies, satellites everywhere. This is it. It's already been built. And then we have been engineered into it because... They use social engineering to do it. And in a moment, I'm going to get to an interview that Howard Scott did where he explains this so that you can understand, wow, we already are living inside of it. Technocracy is the religion. It's a culture. And so our kids are born into the culture of technocracy, the technology all around us. And we, the people, whether we are the scientists and engineers that have been actively building it, we, the people, have been building it. Every time we buy a smartphone, every time we turn the smartphone on, every time we get on the Internet, we are building it. As Elon Musk said, I think we covered it in early episodes, we are just nodes in the system, in this cybernetic collective. We are the ones providing the data needed to create the system. Well, that system is the technate. That system is technocracy. It's done. It's already here. 
which is good that we know this and i'm glad we understand this now because now we can recognize the problem we understand all of the pieces that we can look at now whether it be the climate hustle that we're covering with wide awake jim or whether it's covid land the high school theater production that mike moore has covered with maria albanese for the last couple of years whether it's 9 11 and the patriarch all these are just chapters they're just chapters within the bible and the bible is technocracy it's the plans we're looking at here from technocracy incorporated that's the bible of the religion and so these are just chapters in that they support the idea the overall theme of the bible which is technocracy incorporated that's how it works and so they slowly usher in more and more of the pieces. Now, I was just having a text conversation between when I recorded episode 83 and now when I'm recording episode 84 with Maria Albanese and Wide Awake Jim. And I said to them, I, I think I figured this out, guys. I just did a show in real time. I discovered some information. My brain went into hyperdrive, and I kind of figured this out. And so Jim is doing investigative work in the Bank for International Settlements now. He's been looking at that for years, but now he's putting all the pieces together. And so he said, uh, BIS is basically Tony Soprano. And then Maria said, well, Tony Soprano even answered to the old country. Right. So there were people above Tony Soprano. And that's when I said, well, the technocracy is the Bible. It's the religion. It's the culture. And when we look at all the people, all the bankers we talk about, all the heads of these NGOs, the heads of these committees, these organizations, these people that sit on the top of companies in the form of CEOs, you have to look at those people having already been indoctrinated into the system. That's part of the social engineering. When you take a young teacher, 23, 24 25 30 years old who grew up going through college to become a teacher who was taught in the art of the common core state education system right then that person gets into a classroom and they're teaching the children based on the common core system that's because they were born into the system they don't know anything different than the system unless they're doing what we're doing and they're reading they're educating themselves because they're interested where common core came from and then they realize that they're in an educational matrix that's totally different than what education started out as just like we're figuring out that the constitutional republic doesn't exist it's been replaced by technocracy and so these bankers and these scientists and these engineers and these ceos they came up through the system they were born into the culture so they know no different than what technocracy is they know nothing else than to continue to build the prison planet that's what they know because that's the culture they grew up in now if you want to work in that world and you don't understand that culture let's say you came from another country over to the united states at least in the old days you would adopt our culture you would learn our culture embrace our culture and then blend in assimilate into the culture well if you want to go work at the world bank or bank for international settlements or the united nations or the world economic forum or work inside of washington dc as a staffer and you came from somewhere else that doesn't have a culture of corruption the culture of technocracy then you learn the culture you embrace it because you want to work and live within that system
And so that's what we have right now, folks. We have people running the system that grew up inside of the system that know nothing else than the culture of the system. And so some of them don't even realize they're doing horrible things. They've adopted the culture of the technocracy, which is complete and total control. It is social engineering science. It is a system that controls the means of production and distribution. It controls everything. And as Howard Scott says, they don't need any police in this system. They don't need regulations with this system because it is a system of total control. You have no individuality in there. You own nothing inside of it. You are not allowed to accumulate wealth. Your art, your literature, your creativity don't matter. They are looked at as just a drain on the energy, folks. And they have you, the human, figured out. They have you pegged. You are just a useless eater, a useless consumer of energy because the 10% of energy you put in to the system in the form of work based on the amount of food and the oxygen that you take into your system, you could never repay the system. That's what they say. Your labor will never repay the system. So you are the human engine. That's what they call you. You're a machine. You're a robot. You're just an animal, a hackable animal to these people. Back in 1933, they were writing this. That is what they think of us. And you think going out there and voting is going to change this when the people running for office know nothing about this? And all they talk about is policies and laws and regulations and rights and all of this nonsense when they don't even realize, folks, that the culture has been taken over. People have been mind-controlled, social-engineered, and programmed to accept this culture that is all around us, this technocratic hellhole of a culture, ladies and gentlemen. And if you used to follow Andrew Breitbart before, I don't know, Steve Bannon may have had a hand in getting rid of him, but if you used to listen to Andrew Breitbart, he had said, culture uh, politics are downstream from culture, meaning you change the culture and then the politicians will reflect that culture. And that is a hundred percent true, folks. So these people that you're going out and voting for, I take a stand with the late George Carlin. I didn't vote for any of them. You went out and voted. So you are the problem. Whatever you voted for, you voted for government, and you helped install one of these people. I apologize if I offended you, folks, but listen, I'm a little ticked off at all the people sending me, did you vote? Did you vote? Of course I didn't vote. I'm not crazy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me take a quick break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. The standard in not voting. All right, folks. Now, listen, you know, I, I have people say to me, too, 
you know, well, you got to vote for the local folks. Listen, let me tell you something. I used to be involved with politics at the local level. It is just as corrupt as the national level. That's just the way it is. And so when I moved here a couple years ago, this happened to be a nice area, I guess, 20 years ago. I talked to a lot of the natives that lived here before all the development went on. It's got a cool downtown, but this is not where my wife and I are going to stay. And so this whole place, I used to have a really nice mountain view out of my window, uh, the piece of land uh, next to me, it was bought before we moved here. And they just took basically a one acre piece of land and put uh, eight giant, ugly uh, prefab houses on the thing. And now it's blocking my mountain view. So I always plan to make this sort of a temporary stop. And then we're looking... um, honestly about setting up a base camp in poland and then a base camp probably in west virginia we're still working that out looking at some properties and stuff but i will tell you no i do not and i'm not going to vote in local elections either because this whole place is just overdeveloped excuse me there's no one running on a platform that says uh if i win i'll stop all development and it will burn down everything that was built in the last 10 years no no one's running on that so What the hell do they have to offer me? Then as far as the school board goes, we're homeschooling our kid, uh, probably back and forth in two different countries. So I could care less about the uh, school board. All right. And then as far as mayor and judges, they're, they're all corrupt. They're all horrible. They have no idea what's really going on with the system. None of them are going to stop this. They're not going to get rid of the sustainability goals that are embedded in all the planning and zoning at the local level, county level, state level. So what is the point in voting for them? I would have to go get active in the local i would not be allowed obviously in the democrat committee they'd hate me i'd have to try to go get involved with the republican committee and i'm telling you they're so corrupt you're going to go there you're going to try to explain this stuff to them they're going to think you're crazy there is really no point so i've withdrawn from the election system in its current form and as i said my energy will be setting up my personal homestead away from everyone else or working with a group of people who want to pool resources and build a sustainable community something like a half amish style community maybe on one end of the property we have a building that's like an office if we have to work we can go down there and there's internet back in our homes it would obviously be your personal choice but you know have no internet in the homes live a free natural life big farm in the middle of the community it's like a csa supported farm everybody owns a of it and uh and then you go off into the building down on the other side of the property where you do your work and you connect up to the matrix something like that i'm interested in that type of a system because this other stuff to me doesn't matter okay it doesn't matter i'm a refugee living within the former united states of america living in a former constitutional republic i don't know what it is right now but we're in a new normal we're floating around inside of a technocratic system that hasn't fully declared its authority over us yet but that is quickly coming it is quickly coming so as far as i'm concerned i don't vote if you want to more power to you folks i mean if it makes you feel good it makes you feel like you're part of the system it's nostalgic it makes you feel patriotic because you went and voted the party line republican or democrat and so that makes you feel good that you knew nothing about the candidates except you read a flyer that they mailed you and of course there's six thousand of those in my mailbox 
box. So I know they're there. And then you read that. You said, the guy has a nice smile. He's got a picture with his wife. She's pretty hot. He's got three kids. It says over here, he's a lawyer. He must be a nice guy. So I'm going to go vote for him. And then you think you did your civic duty or something. All right. And all you did is you put another criminal into office. It's not like he wasn't going to get into office without your vote. But I mean, you actually helped install a criminal into office. And how do we know this? Because at the end of the day, they all turn into criminals. They're either criminals or they're con men, they're liars, they're thieves, they're hackers, hijackers, pirates, and uh, gutter snipes, as Mike would say. So I just don't participate in that system because there's no one there who has interest in actually restoring liberty and freedom and human autonomy and cares whether or not I actually thrive and not just survive within this system. They don't even understand what the system is. So if you said to them, well, we're in a technocracy, they say, what's that? It's a system of total control. They would say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. While the guy's got three Fitbits on his left wrist and he's being tracked all the time. I mean, this is what we're dealing with here, folks. All right. I want to read you something real quick. Uh, because I, I'm not going to talk about this the whole time. I just got it off my chest because you guys are tagging me in tweets and everything else. You know, the election machines are down and the rigging's going on and they're announcing that the riggers are rigging. And What did you think was going to happen? Why even pay attention to it? Just treat voting like any other day of the week. Go about your business. You know what I did today while everything's closed down? I recorded two shows instead of one. That's what I did on election day. See, I'm making a bigger difference by getting real information out to you guys by sitting here and talking with you folks and texting back and forth with Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays and with Wide Awake Jim about the information we're putting together so you understand the truth. That's more productive than actually voting. For me anyway. I mean, for some of you, you might be older, you're in your 80s, your 90s, you don't get out much, so you go take a walk up to the school, and you vote, and you come back, and you got some exercise, maybe you just got a knee replacement or something, and it helped break in that new knee, whatever it may be, more power to you, you do you, I'm not criticizing you for it, I'm just explaining to you, I don't take part in live action role play, I'm not doing it, I'm not going out there and being part of this high school theater production where I pretend that my vote for some person that I don't even know actually is going to make a difference. I'm just not going to do that, folks. I would frankly rather wrap my hand in a uh, in a towel and smash it with a meat tenderizer. That would actually be more productive than voting at this point, at this uh, time in our history. All right, let me read this to you because it's good. It goes with the election theme, and then we're going to switch gears and get into the technocracy. But this is from the Technocrat magazine that we reviewed uh, yesterday or earlier today in episode 31. And this was an article I found in there. They do movie reviews. And I thought, wow, this is really fitting for this election day. This says, uh, let's get married. That must have been a movie that came out. I'm not asking you to marry me. Obviously, I have a wife, folks. We have a baby on the way. It says, in this picture, a bit of technocracy hits the screen. The conflict of the plot consists of the interference by politicians with the functioning of the Weather Bureau. The main concern of the political bosses was the arrangement of trades of controlled votes in an election campaign for judges. 
The final choice of these quote-unquote statesmen for judge was a politician whose own mother declared he was brainless. The main concern of the meteorologist was to get an increased appropriation of money to make the Weather Bureau more efficient. Finally, the beautiful daughter of the political boss, through love or something, for the scientist, told him she would influence her father to arrange for an increase in the budget. The movie censor actually allowed the meteorologist to say that he knew that a politician wouldn't give the shine off his pants to help the Weather Bureau, and further, that politicians didn't know anything. And finally, and to our amazement, that when scientists get into control, politicians will be as extinct as the dodo. That would be the dodo bird, saying when scientists get in control, like scientists is the head of the technocracy, then politicians will be extinct. It goes on to say, this is good propaganda for technological control, but undoubtedly most of the audience missed the point. They probably concluded about as follows, quote, don't be a poor old scientist who can't get any money, be a politician and get the dough, end quote. You know, I like the sense of humor there of the technocrats saying that the average person would end up falling on the side of the corrupt politicians, but in reality, we know the scientist is corrupt too. I do think that is funny how they say when the scientists get into control politicians will be as extinct as the dodo bird now in my opinion the scientists are already in control the politicians are already extinct right now they're allowed to exist because they add the chaos needed they need to keep promoting what the technocrats will call the price system and they need to make sure the price system actually fails so that they can usher in the full-blown technocracy we're seeing that right now but on election day i thought that was very appropriate i found it to be quite humorous that the technocrats were poking fun at the politicians that they saw as their enemy but as we'll get into in future episodes you will see that the politicians and the technocrats actually work hand in hand especially populist politicians or so-called populist politicians who actually run on a message that they're fighting the state or fighting the deep state fighting the bad guys inside of the state when actually what they do is they end up getting in there and then they say to manage these problems we're going to then bring in more more bureaucrats more scientists more engineers to actually fight back against the deep state when in fact the deep state is the state and that whole system is the technocracy you see so a donald trump might get in then he brings in a peter Thiel gives him a bunch of money to run all types of facial recognition and track us all down inside the IRS with his government-started company, Palantir, funded by the CIA through its venture firm, InQtel. You see, so that's how it really works. So a populist candidate like Trump makes all these promises, and then in the end, he just brings in the technocrats who further move forward this whole prison planet matrix system that we find ourselves living in today. So folks, that's it on elections. I'm done talking about elections. I promise you when I get back from the break, I'm going to show you how the technocrats socially engineered us into the technate via the words of Howard Scott in a 1965 interview. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 
You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain. Dot TV slash gold. All right, folks, one more thing. This isn't really, well, it's about elections and it's about technocracy and it's about, we're talking about the Constitutional Republic being gone. So this will be a little bit about our founding. And so I find this to be hilarious. This is a common theme in uh, local elections. So you'll see the billboards and then you'll see the yard signs and then you'll see, I don't watch TV, so I don't see any ads. And then you'll get the mailers in your mailbox. And there's always some buffoon, usually a woman, nothing against you women out there. Obviously, I have a wife. I love her very much. I'm just saying it's usually a woman running for the school board. And it's usually a hyphenated name. So it'll be like Kathy Solomon Hypersnack or something like that. And so... You'll look at her flyer and I'll say, "Listen, if I'm for the if I win the board ad, we're going to get more money, more money." And this comes because we're talking about the technocracy piece with the weather bureau there, and they're wanting more money, right? So, I we need more money. Our kids are failing out of school. Their IQs are down in the dumps. Their test scores are horrible. So, I'm going to get more money, and that's going to help our kids get smarter. And what are we going to do with this money? And then there's like a bulleted list with little check marks. And it'll be like, I need $200 million more dollars for more computers. We need $2 billion more dollars for more infrastructure in the technological sector in the school system. We need to digitize all of our books. We need more online learning. We need professional Zoom accounts for all the children. We need to have a laptop at every desk, right? So it's all this technology now. Well, there you go, folks. That's what I was talking about, the culture of technocracy. We're in the culture of technocracy because we've accepted it. Now, the normal person sitting at home, is trying to figure out if this person is Republican or Democrat. That's really all they care about. And as you notice, they make it very difficult to find out. Now they all hide behind shit. They have flyers that are green instead of blue or red. They don't want to identify with parties. So they try to figure it out. Because if that person is Republican and you're Republican, obviously they're good and they're right and they need the money for more computers and more IT. If they're Democrat, then you hate them and they're spending too much money. And so what will happen is it becomes comes a battle over money and people will say that's too much to spend on this that's not enough to spend on this that's just the right amount to spend on this but they're missing the picture they're fighting over that when in reality they're all accepting what technocracy the technology in the classrooms so this person this kathy solomon hypersnack or whatever her name is she is now going to advocate to put more technology in the classroom and that is going to be the solution to how we're going to get our kids test scores up test scores that mean nothing common core garbage and to get their iqs out of the dumps you know that's what they're going to do well what they don't come to realize and no one ever questions them on at any of these town hall meetings or 
or these uh, planning and zoning councils or these board of ed meetings. No one ever raises their hand and say, listen, let's go back to our founding for a minute. When uh, the majority of these founders were multiple things, right? They're 37 years old and they're a lawyer, a doctor, an inventor, a farmer, a butcher, a painter, and a, uh, and a author. They, they have 17 things on their resume. They're 37 years old. How do you think that happened? Because there was no freaking technology distracting them. So if there was someone running on that that said, I am Bob Smith, and if I win and I end up on the Board of Education, I'm removing all it, uh, IT from the school system. Even the secretary at the front desk will be using an old notepad she is no longer allowed to have a computer. I'll remove all technology from the school. That guy I would vote for because it would tell me he gets the problem, that the technology is the technocracy. It is all part of it. The tracking, the data, the analytics, the metrics, all of that is part of the technocracy. And as I said, that is why you know now that we live inside of a technocratic culture. It's a culture. And it's a social engineering control mechanism from top to bottom. And they won. They've driven us into the culture. That's why I said we're already here. This is not a constitutional republic. Yes, there is the illusion of voting for representatives, but those representatives obviously don't represent you. And everything that they do, you did not consent to. First off, whether you're Republican or Democrat, no matter who you vote for, if your guy wins, you hate him three weeks later because you realize you were snowed. And then you sit there for the next two years talking about how you have to vote this guy out the next time. Folks, it's an endless cycle of wrapping your hand in a towel and smashing it with a meat tenderizer. That is what it is. That's what voting is. And so now you know. Now you know why I don't vote. All right, let's go over to this article here. This is uh, History and Technology, an international journal. And this was Technological Parables and Iconic Illustrations, American Technocracy and the Rhetoric of the Technological Fix. All right, and so when you go down here, there's a paper that I grabbed, a PDF. Very good, by the way. We're going to be using this uh, on and off. And this is uh, volume 33, number 2, 196-219, if you're looking for it. It says, Technological Parables and Iconic Illustrations, American Technocracy and the Rhetoric of the Technological Fix. All right, and so let's just read the abstract before I go to the section that we're going to review. This says right here, uh, this is written by Sean F. Johnston, School of Interdisciplinary Studies, University of Glasgow, Dumfries, United Kingdom. And it says that Dumfries, Dumfries, United Kingdom. Hey, maybe that place doesn't have any smart technology. Oh, that's terrible. All right, abstract. This paper traces the role of American technocrats in popularizing the notion, later dubbed the, quote, technological fix, end quote, channeled by their long-term, quote, chief, end quote, Howard Scott. Their claim was that technoc uh, technology always provides the most effective solution to modern social, cultural, and political problems. The account focuses on the expression of this technological faith and how it has uh, proselytized from the era of high industrialism between the world wars through and beyond the nuclear age 
I argued that the packaging and promotion of these ideas relied on allegorical technological tales and readily absorbed graphic imagery. Combined with what Scott called uh, symbolization, this seductive discourse preached beliefs about technology to broad audiences. The style and conviction of the messages were echoed by establishment figures such as National Lab Director Alvin Weinberg, who employed the techniques to convert mainstream and elite audiences through the end of the 20th century. Do you hear that there, folks? So it was written for a regular old mainstream audience. I told you that. They wrote all this stuff in layman's terms. And then they used all those fancy banners. I mean, really, some of the events look like Nazi events, and all the guys were in the same exact gray suit. The women were in the same uh, gray skirt and gray top. With, they were all saluting. It was uh, very authoritarian looking, but they're authoritarian. They don't hide that. They admit it's a control system. We covered that in episode 82. So it says, the style and conviction of the messages were echoed by establishment figures such as National Lab Director Alvin Weinberg, who employed the techniques to convert mainstream and elite audiences through the end of the 20th century. See, I told you, they were weeding this uh, through, weaving it through the mainstream in order to socially engineer people into this system. They said they didn't need any votes. They didn't need any bullets. Remember, they didn't have to fire one bullet or cast one vote to get this system into place because they needed to change the culture. It's a system of social engineering, the science of social engineering. All right, I'm going to read from this, and we're getting to a certain part, and this is going to talk about how In Howard Scott's words, they would use social engineering to drive people into the culture of technocracy without actually having to fire a shot. And we still see this going on today. Each time they orchestrate some big psychological operation like COVID land, the high school theater production or 9-11 and the Patriot Act or the housing collapse of 2007, 2008, they're always doing that. That's a problem they create to provoke a reaction and then offer the solution, which is more technology, more technocracy. They do it time and time again, and each of the problems they create creates a hundred more problems, and every solution that comes out of it, there's thousands of solutions, so they really advance the ball continuously. This section is technocratic organizations and their seminal messages. Examples of what were later dubbed, quote, technological fixes, end quote, are an important feature of Howard Scott's rhetoric from the earliest communications of the Technical Alliance, an organization that he co-founded in 1919. I'm going to do a little history on that shortly. We'll we'll try to get that in tonight. It says, consisting initially of a group of some 17 men and women, the loose affiliation included economic philosopher Thorstein Veblen, electrical engineer Charles Steinmetz, conservationist Benton McKay, architect Frederick L. Ackerman, and physicist Richard C. Tolman. Now, I talked about some of those guys in a past episode. We'll get into more of that hopefully tonight. Most of them identified publicly with what American contemporaries recognized as, quote, progressive and reform, end quote. Policies in the period before and after the First World War and a number of the organization's advocates subsequently were to occupy posts in the Roosevelt administrations during the 1930s and 1940s. See, so many of these folks, right, many of the organization's advocates ended up 
in post inside the FDR administration. This is part of the research I'm doing, which I'm not going to get into tonight, but about how the technocrats ended up inside the FDR administration. So FDR did not technically have to be a technocrat or at least run on the technocratic platform. Nobody had to vote for technocracy. They just put these guys into bureaucratic positions, and then they're there to start to build the infrastructure and the systems of the total control technocratic system. See that? Boom. Really easy. Brilliant. Goes on to say, the purpose of the alliance stated that their first pamphlet was to, quote, survey the possibility of applying the achievements of science to societal and industrial affairs, end quote. I'll get into a little bit more about that, but this is kind of what... Wide Awake Jim and Maria Albanese and I are looking into, we're trying to figure out who was the money behind this. We know they operated out of Columbia University. We're trying to see if it ties into the Rockefellers, into the Federal Reserve, and other things of that nature. Goes on to say, by collecting sound facts and applying rational engineering principles to modern problems, the not-for-profit organization would champion the replacement of, quote, maladministration and chaos imposed upon the industrial mechanism end quote right so that's still what we're seeing happen today i believe we're watching a controlled demolition of the current system the end of the current system right i believe technocracy is already here the rest of what's still here in front of us an illusion of a constitutional republic an illusion of capitalism an illusion of the price system that that's just what i say it's an illusion and so now they're orchestrating a controlled demolition of that so that they can blame it on that make that look like it was the problem and then usher in the new system which is already here they're still building out infrastructure for a number of the pieces but eventually they're going to come clean and tell you you're under this new system I mean, people will gladly accept it. They'll probably beg for it. That will be the reaction in the problem-reaction-solution loop. It says, the theme of the group's message was that technical experts rather than politicians and financial interests were the only viable providers of effective solutions for modern society. And so, you'll see... The reason why I did this now and not before is because over episodes 81 through 83, we laid the foundation so you understand what technocracy really is, right? And so when we're reading this, I don't have to stop and explain all that to you. If you haven't listened to it, go back, listen to episode 81 and 82, ladies and gentlemen. All right. I am Dustin Gold. I'll be right back. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts along with a comment, please. We're operating in the technocracy, folks, and I need 
I need my social credit score to go up, so please do that for us. Join us at pain.tv slash gold. Get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast, folks. Episode 80. Check it out. My four-hour interview with Wide Awake Jim. He brings the charts. He brings the graphs. He brings the PDFs. You can download all of those at pain.tv slash gold under episode 80. You can get all that. You can watch the video, share it with your friends and family, make sure they see it. We want this stuff getting out there, folks, on the climate hustle, because the climate hustle helps usher in CBDC and UBI. That is coming. Jim will explain it all. We've got several episodes planned together, folks. He is a brilliant man. He has spent a lot of time researching this on his own. He pays attention to Catherine Austin Fitz and John Titus and a number of other shows. I don't have time anymore because I'm working on my own show all the time, doing my own research. So Jim is going deeper than what they've covered, and he's tying in all the pieces and how it fits into the overall technocratic plan, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, it goes on to say, Howard Scott was the public voice and chief engineer of the Technical Alliance and its successor organization, Technocracy Inc. Surrounded by myths, Scott's limited engineering training and experience appear to have been important to his style of engaging with wide audiences described by historian william aiken as a quote bohemian engineer end quote he frequented greenwich village in new york through the 1920s a persuasive and magnetic speaker scott's self-confidence in formal speaking style and fluent command of data on industrial practices impressed his audiences including established scientists and engineers remember i told you he was six foot five he was a chain smoker he had a very deep voice and he was able to command a room and so people bought into it it later turned out that he really didn't have the engineering credentials that he said but he sure as heck, he sure as heck could light up a room, folks. He could also light up a pack of Marlboros and smoke the whole thing. He goes on to say, in the economic and industrial environment after the First World War, the ideas fostered by the Technical Alliance gained uh, diverse attention. Labor organizations such as the Railroad Brotherhood and International Workers of the World consulted the group. And the New York World, aligned with the National Democrat Party, published a lengthy interview with Scott a year later. You see, laying the foundation, folks, laying the foundation of the social engineering. This is how they worked it into the mainstream. They did not need to win an election. They did not need to fire a bullet and they still don't today because all the people i mentioned earlier that are implementing this were somehow infected with the ideology of this social system this social mechanism this system of social control total control total control now let's listen to what Scott says. This is very important. It says the newspaper article provides the first recorded recounting by Scott of an anecdote of unusual pervasive power. A uh, succinct example showing how a technical solution could replace social, legal, and economic approaches. All right. This is important, folks. So this is Howard Scott talking about this unusual persuasive power right it's a succinct example showing how a technical solution could replace social legal and economic approaches so this is how they engineer you into the system 
without you realizing you're being engineered into the system. Ready? For lack of anything better to say, I asked him a question which every advocate of a new order will recognize as an old acquaintance. Quote, won't you have to change human nature first? Mr. Scott smiled dryly. Quote, did you have to change human nature? He asked in order to keep passengers from standing on car platforms. Go on, I said. I'm listening. They put up signs first, Scott continued, prohibiting the dangerous practice, but the passengers still crowded the platform. Then they got ordinances passed, and the platform remained as crowded as before. Policemen, legislators, public service commissions all took a hand, but to no effect. Then the problem was put up to the engineer. The engineer solved it easily. They built cars that didn't have platforms. All right, do you understand this? Very important, folks. It may sound simple or it might sound like the beginning of a stupid joke, but it's not. It's not. What Scott says is that you had these cars, right, these train cars, uh, and you wanted to stop the passengers from standing on the car platforms, So you go and you put up signs. Don't stand on the platforms, right? Don't stand on the platforms, right? You try to prohibit the dangerous practice, but the passengers don't care. They still stand on the platform. Then you get ordinances passed, regulations, right? And the platform remained as crowded as before. So no one cares. So you have policemen and legislators and public service commissions all took a hand, right? They all took a hand trying to police it, regulate it. And then you give the problem to the engineer. What does the engineer do? He removes the platforms. So no one now can stand on the platforms. And so the idea behind this little parable here, this story, is that the technocrats, the scientists, the engineers, the technologists, they can change human behavior through engineering, right? So if you wanted to, let's say, have everyone get a cell phone, and you're trying to push everyone to get a cell phone, let's say a flip phone, and then you can't get everyone to get a flip phone, so what do you do? You just outlaw a landline, and then everyone will get the flip phone. You want everyone to get a smartphone? What do you do? If you try to regulate it or force people or mandate it through law and have police knock on the doors and say, you got to go buy a smartphone, people are still not going to do it. So what do you do? You get rid of the flip phone and you only engineer a smartphone, right? So now you have the smartphone and the engineer says, you want to track people? All right, we'll put a tracker in it. You want to do this? We'll do this. You want to do that? You want to do that. So what's happening, and as you see, I always tell you, I call them adoption campaigns. So they try to run the adoption campaigns, like with Elon Musk and Neuralink brain chip or the smart sock they want to put on your child. And they run the adoption campaigns for the purpose of for the purpose of walking you into it, because they don't want to force you into it via gunpoint, right? That would be counterproductive. So they engineer the solution, and this is how they're engineering humanity. This is how they engineered us into this technocracy. Look, if they didn't want people wearing green shirts, they can pass laws that says people can't wear green shirts, but people will still do it. So if the engineers are 
the owners of Santa Claus's shop, they just stop making and selling green shirts and then no one will have green shirts. But that can't happen in a true free market system. That can't happen under true capitalism, which is why Howard Scott and the technocrats offer a system of total control, a system where you can't build wealth, a system where you're not allowed to barter, a system where they take care of your bare necessities so that you won't go commit crimes against the state, against the system. See how it works? It's all total control, but they've engineered us into this folks piece by piece so every time we see this stuff happen um every time there's a covid land high school theater production it pushes in a new set of i wouldn't even say the policies and the regulations but it's a new set of this social engineering this is how they engineer you right into the system Let's go on here. I think there's some other important stuff. It says, as his audience appreciated, the cars were streetcars. The platforms were the open boarding areas and steps at one or both ends. By enclosing these areas and removing external handholds from which passengers could hang and fall, engineering design could straightforwardly compel and correct human behaviors can correct human behaviors that's engineering you thus where legislation and moral exhortations failed engineers and their technologies could secure desired social outcomes the first telling of the tale contained the seeds of a notion that was to spawn uh calorilies and compact cummings over subsequent decades the central message of the anecdote was the superiority of technical innovation over social solutions called technological fixes which and uh entrain confidence in the power of inventions to compel societal change they call this technological determinism implied the superior problem-solving abilities of engineers over other varieties of expert. That would be technocracy. And their role in the subsequent advance of civilization, technological progressivism, linked to the potent tale, the hubris of these abstract ideas was contagious. So you see that, right? So it was this idea, we're the smart guy in the room, we're the scientist, we're the engineer. We will engineer human behavior. We will change it by corralling these people into these systems that we're going to build through engineering, right? So we can change their behavior. You don't need laws. You don't need police. You don't need regulators. We will just engineer this system so that they have to follow the rules. Look, if they take away all cars and they only make one kind of car, as they talk about in uh, uh, technocracy documents, then you don't have a choice. There's no problem anymore. You have to go to this government station. It's like a government enterprise office to pick up a car that you're borrowing. And then when you bring it back, you're charged energy points, you know, from your energy certificates, your docked energy certificates for your use of that car. See, they can engineer all of society if they have a system of total control. That's why Howard Scott, what we reviewed in episode 83, said that it was a system of total control. There's no freedom inside of this system. There's no freedom of choice. The choices are made for you. Or, or you at least believe you have a choice, but you only have limited choices because your choice is made within a planned system.
a planned society, just like what we happen to be living in now, where you believe on this election day that you have a choice. You have a choice of whether or not you go and vote. Either choice is probably a bad choice because at the end of the day, you're still ruled, right? I'm just not going because I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste energy. I don't want to play in their system. But then you go down there and you vote and you look and you see all these little dots and you could fill in the bubble and then scan your card. So you believe that you have a choice, but it's false choice. It's a choice. Either choice has already been engineered by the system, by the system. So it's the illusion of choice. And so now Howard Scott is talking about this, right? He's saying, we'll just engineer this maze so that people can go right or left, but in the end, they're going to end up back on the same path. And that's what technocracy is all about, folks. It is the science of social engineering. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to engineer myself right over to a quick break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. And this is pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, let me show you something here. I reviewed this a couple of episodes ago. I don't remember when. And I talked about it in the nugget leading up to this episode, the Dustin Gold Nugget. But let me just show you this. This is an article from December 2015 by Kathy Solomon. Your say, technocracy being woven into our society. I'm not going to go over the whole thing because I already told you. But let me just give you an idea of some of these giant psychological operations that they run. I just want to remind you of this that allows them to weave technocracy into society. It's already everywhere. It's being introduced, obviously, through entertainment, through celebrities, uh, through consumer products, through your work, all that kind of stuff, folks. It's there. But then they advance it. They take these major leaps forward where they install a mass amount of prison planet technocracy technology all at one time. So as she brilliantly writes here, it is being woven into our society under the names and programs. She's talking about technocracy, right? Technocracy is being woven into our society under the names and programs called sustainable development, smart grid, green economy, smart growth, public-private partnerships, Agenda 21, land use, global warming, climate change, cap and trade, and in education, the Common Core state standards. And we can add to that list, COVID land, the high school theater production, the Patriot Act, right? We could just keep adding Agenda 2030, Agenda 2050. They just keep adding and adding and adding. You can add central bank digital currency, universal basic income, and you can just add and add and add and add to it. And this is how they work it in. This is how technocracy came into play without a vote. You did not have to cast a ballot for someone running on the technocratic platform. Not at all. You did not have to do it, folks. They just worked it in through the system because the bureaucrats have been engineered into adopting these technocratic 
uh, policies through the technocratic culture that they have already accepted, whether they know it or not. All right. Now up on the screen, folks, I have a video I'm going to play. You have seen it. I know you have. This video is called Eight Predictions for the World in 2030 from the World Economic Forum. Now, I know you know about this because there was a famous quote that came out of it that said, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Well, now that you're starting to understand uh, the tenets of the original technocracy movement coming out of 1919, really taking off in 1933 under Technocracy Incorporated, you understand you're not allowed to own personal property inside of that system. Everything is based on your energy certificates. You get an equal allotment to everyone else. And so that's how the system runs. Well, let's take a look what World Economic Forum was saying in, uh, let me double check, folks. I think this comes out of 2016 yes november 12th 2016 so let's play this video i am going to narrate it for you because it's just words on a screen there's no voiceover so let's play this you'll own nothing and you'll be happy whatever you want you'll rent and it'll be delivered by drone the U.S. won't be the world's leading superpower. A handful of countries will dominate. You won't die waiting for an organ donor. We won't transplant organs, we'll print new ones instead. You'll eat much less meat. An occasional treat, not a single staple, for the good of the environment and our health. A billion people will be displaced by climate change. We'll have to do a better job at welcoming and integrating refugees. Polluters will have to pay to emit carbon dioxide. There will be a global price on carbon that will help make fossil fuels history. You could be preparing to go to Mars. Scientists will have worked out how to keep you healthy in space, the start of a journey to find alien life. Western values will have been tested to the breaking point. Checks and balances that underpin our democracies must not be forgotten. Especially the checks. Like, comment, share. WEF, the World Economic Forum. All right, folks, so there's a lot of stuff in there, right? There's a lot of stuff in there that we've covered on this show, ladies and gentlemen. And so I think that's all very familiar to you, right? Let me just pull up the article here that this goes along with, Eight Predictions for the World in 2030. And this is on WEFforum.org. And so this is uh, eight predictions for 2030. And we start off here. All products will have become services. Quote, I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. No, that's not Dr. Seuss. That was Danish MP Ida Auken. 
shopping is a distant memory in the city of 2030, whose inhabitants have cracked clean energy and borrow what they need on demand. It sounds utopian until she mentions that every move is tracked and outside the city live swaths of discontents, the ultimate depiction of a society split in two. Yeah, well, let's get the hell out of here, folks. You ready to go? Because I'm not living in that. Number two, there is a global price on carbon, and this is what Jim, Wide Awake Jim, is specializing in right now. China took the lead in 2017 with a market for trading the right to emit a ton of CO2, setting the world on a path towards a single carbon price and a powerful incentive to ditch fossil fuels, predicts Jane Burston, head of climate and environment at the UK, UK's National Physical Laboratory. Europe, meanwhile, found itself at the center of trade in cheap, efficient solar panels as prices for renewables fell sharply well let's just look at this let's look at number one right so it says everything's going to move into this rental based economy you will own nothing right so they're going to sell it to you you will have no loans you will have no mortgages you will own nothing you're just going to rent everything you have this freedom of course you're going to be tracked everywhere and then you're going to have people that live outside in the rural areas that want to come and kill you but don't worry about that folks you're going to rent everything so look at how this system of social engineering works if they create the if they control the means of production then they don't have to make anything that they are going to sell to you so if it all ends up in giant government-owned or technocrat-owned or so-called private sector-owned rental warehouses, and you're not allowed to buy stuff from, say, Amazon, say they turn Amazon into a rental facility where you rent a T-shirt from them and then you return it back through their whole system they already set up with uh, UPS and Coles and all these other drop-off locations so let's say they did that well they socially engineered you into the system because if you can't buy anything if you can't buy a bicycle then you can't buy a bicycle if the manufacturers of the bicycles won't sell the bicycles then guess what you don't own a bicycle now you can say well someone on the black market will build bicycles well where are they getting the materials to build the bicycles because if these guys control the components to build the bicycle, you can't get the bicycle. So then you say, well, I'm going to make my own components. Well, guess what? They're taking control of all the natural resources. Therefore, you can't make the parts. That is how they engineer you into the system without ever firing a shot. Let's look at number two. There's a global price on carbon, right? We said China took the lead. And then they're going to start charging companies a fee, as Jim uh, went over in episode 80. They're going to charge them. They've been doing it already. They charge them a fee for emitting CO2, saying they're going to force them off fossil fuels by basically fining them. Well, let's say there's a company who doesn't want to do this. Well, they'll be fined out of existence. Therefore, without firing a shot, Without these people actually voting for this, they forced them in. They socially engineered that company into the system. They're doing that through ESG scores and such. Number three, U.S. dominance is over. We have a handful of global powers. Nation states will have staged to come back, writes Robert McGaugh, research director at the Aragape Institute. Instead of a single force, a handful of countries, the U.S., Russia, China, Germany, India, and Japan, chief among them, show semi-imperial tendencies. However, at the same time, the role of the state is threatened by trends including the rise of cities and the spreads of online identities 
I don't know. It has a comma, but it should be a period. Anyway, let's look at that one there, okay? They're trying to create this image that basically there's going to be a rise of nationalism and all these states competing. They're not competing. It's a global system, folks. It's a global system that's going to operate on one global CBDC. Wide Awake Jim will explain that to you. So they create the illusion that there's different nation states competing, as it's always been. But in reality, it's one giant global system. You already know that. But the way I look at it, and we'll get into some of this with Jim as well. I think Catherine Austin Fitz has talked about it. There's basically going to be sectors. And the sectors are like quadrants within the technate. And that will all be based on the uh, uh, energy uh, plants and stuff like that. Uh, so we'll get into that in detail, but that's just a facade. It says, four, farewell hospital, hello, home, spital. Technology will have further distributed, uh, disrupted disease, writes Melanie Walker, a medical doctor and World Bank advisor. The hospital, as we know it, will be on its way out with fewer accidents thanks to self-driving cars and great strides and preventative and personalized medicine. Scalpels and organ donors are out. Tiny robotic tubes and bioprinted organs are in. Well, we know all that's happening. We covered some of this on the show. But again, if you like the hospital system or you like this Rockefeller medical system, well, you won't be able to go to a hospital if they don't exist, right? You won't be able to have a car that you drive if you can only get a self-driving car. See, this is the scientists and engineers engineering society. They build a system. And if that's the only system that exists, there's no alternative system, then you have to be part of their system. All these things that, look, if I didn't work, if I had $10 million I carried around in a bag with me and I didn't work, I would not have a smartphone. But if you want to work, you really have to have a smartphone. I, I, I don't think I can operate without it because in today's world, I have to be able to check email and get text messages and look at pain.tv slash gold. And I'm using my phone right now to actually film the video version of this podcast. And so I need access to the phone. So that's how they corral you into the system because this is the economy that we currently live in. You need it to operate. You can access your bank account, all this other stuff through your phone, folks. All right, when we get back, I'm going to go over the four additional uh, 2030 predictions from the World Economic Forum that they made in 2016. And then I'm going to go back into Technocracy Incorporated. I'm going to show you how some of this stuff fits right in. I mean, all of it actually does, but I can't go through every single example on today's show. So I'm going to show you one of the big ones, which is transportation. And this way you understand that this stuff was not developed out of the World Economic Forum. It was developed almost 100 years ago, coming out of technology. Technocracy Incorporated. That's how long these guys have been fighting to put this system into place. But unlike some of the other podcasters and journalists out there, I'm not telling you a lie. I'm not saying this is what's coming. This is technocracy. This is what's coming. I'm telling you the truth. It's already here. And I'm not telling you so that you give up or so that you're blackpilled. I'm telling you so that we can remove this illusion that we are fighting back against something that isn't here. It's here. It's already taken over our country. It already controls everything. It already ate away at and, and hijacked the culture. 
So we have to now make realistic decisions in our lives about how to either live outside of it, one foot out of the matrix, one foot in the matrix, try to run from this, try to get out of the cities, try to move to rural areas. We can start to make realistic decisions instead of sitting at home, wasting time, thinking that somehow we're going to push back and we're going to fight against it. It's already here. It's not that it's coming. It's that it's already here. No one is going to stop this freight train, folks. All right, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, look, I'm not trying. I really am not trying to black pill you. I mean, I'm trying to black pill you in the sense that I want you to see the truth. I want you to join me in this world of truth so that we can wipe away this illusion once and for all. We could stop pretending that going out there and voting for these people is a perfect day to do this because it's the biggest illusion. I mean, this and Christmas, right? Christmas for a little kid. You want to believe there's Santa Claus. When you're seven or eight, you find out there's no Santa Claus. Once you accept the fact that Santa Claus is fake, you don't go back at 31 and start thinking that Santa Claus is coming down the chimney on Christmas Eve. And so I don't understand how some people float in and out of this. You guys get it. You understand it. And then all of a sudden, you're worried about the election. Just ignore it. Keep continuing to study this stuff and build your homestead or make moves to free up some of your capital to go buy land and get the hell out of here. I mean, at some point, folks, we got to pull that ripcord. We've got to uh, fly off in the injection seat. At some point, we're going to have to make up our mind that, yes, yes, the British are coming. Let's get the hell out of here because you can't really make a stand. You can't really make a stand where you are. You're not going to fight it or undo it. There's just to figure out and explain it. I mean, what I would say you and, and me are in the top one percentile of people that actually understand this. And how do you fight it? How do you fight back? I mean, you can get rid of these things in your personal life, smart devices and such, in order to not be tracked and traced and not be part of it. But at the end of the day, we're just floating on our own island inside of a sea of people that live in the matrix. It's like you're in the matrix walking around knowing it's a matrix, but everyone around you is actually an NPC living inside the matrix, even people that believe they're not NPCs. Like they're walking around with a MAGA hat on thinking that they're not NPCs, but when you try to explain this to them, they tell you you're crazy. What do you listen to Alex Jones? I've never heard Alex Jones go into depth about this stuff, but they don't know that. They don't know that because they are living in the matrix. All right, number five. Again, these are eight predictions for 2030 written in 2016 by the World Economic Forum. Number five, we are eating much less meat. Rather than like our grandparents, we will treat meat as a treat rather than a staple, writes Tim Benton, professor of population ecology at the University of Leeds uh, United Kingdom. It won't be big agriculture or little artisan producers that win, 
but rather a combination of the two, with convenience food redesigned to be healthier and less harmful to the environment. So you know why this is happening, right? You already know why this is going on, because we read to you from technocracy about what they thought of you as a human engine and how you take in food and you take in oxygen, but you only put out 10% of what you take in uh, as far as work goes back into the system. So you're taking more than you're giving. That's why you're a useless eater, a consumer of natural resources. So they're going to engineer the food for you, and you're no longer going to be allowed to eat meat. Now you can say, well, I refuse to do that. Well, when you go to the grocery store, which will be gone soon, part of the technocracy and the social engineering is that the grocery stores will be gone, and you'll only be able to order food off of like an Instacart-type app or eventually put on your VR headset and walk around in the digital metaverse grocery store and pick items off the shelf, well, meat will not be one of them. So unless you have good relationships with local farmers, the last of them that are out there, like I do, like Wide Awake Jim does, I think Maria Albanese has been getting into that as well, Mike Moore has been doing that, and you have access to these small farmers, but once they close them down, regulate them out of existence and part of how they're going to do that jim covered in episode 80 is they're doing a carbon tax a co2 tax on these small farms so it'll get to the point where these guys cannot pay those fees and then they're going to end up selling their land to like king ranch or one of these big guys and boom that's it gone done they close it up cows are dead they're out of there only the rich people can eat them and you're stuck eating impossible burger you could say i don't want to do that well you're being engineered in to the system without one vote being cast or without one bullet being fired that's it they just make the system and if you bitch about it who cares because the next generation grows up inside it they grow up in the culture the culture of the technate it's a culture it's a matrix they wrap the matrix video game around you all right number six today's syrian refugees 2030 ceos highly educated syrian refugees will have come of age by 2030 making the case for the economic integration of those who have been forced to flee conflict the world needs to be better prepared for populations on the move writes lorna solis founder and ceo of the ngo and blue rose compass as climate change will have displaced one billion people All right, well, first off, let me explain this to you. I'll get into this with Wide Awake Jim in the next episode, but when it says climate change will have displaced people, what I think is going to happen is they're rigging up scenarios to drive people out of areas because those are the areas where they're actually stealing the natural resources, which is something that the Bank for International Settlements is heading up. So they'll drive people out of areas, blame it on climate change, and then go in and raid the resources. They've been doing that all over the world uh, since the beginning of mankind. Uh, They've been doing it in africa for the last 30 years so that's probably what's going to occur the other part is they're talking about driving refugees out of countries into other countries which is demographic warfare that's what's happened to the united states it's happening to poland now with their ukrainian refugees and that's how they dilute those cultures so although they're making a claim earlier that there's going to be these rise of the nation states the nation states aren't I uh, identified around a shared culture anymore because they dilute that through demographic warfare. That's why I said those countries, those nation states are just going to be quadrants within the technocratic system, within the technate. That's all they'll actually be. I told you based on uh, energy 
manufacturing plants, power plants. That's how that's going to work. All right, it says number seven, the values to build the West will have been tested to the breaking point. We forgot the checks and balances that bolster our democracies at our peril, writes Kenneth Roth, executive director of Human Rights Watch. All right, this was written in 2016. What happened under COVID land, the high school theater production? Were the values that built the West, uh, were they not tested to the breaking point? When we were shutting people's stores down, forcing people to get vaccines, forcing people to wear masks and suffocate, forcing people to be part of a high school production live action role play project. Yeah, so the values that the West were built on were definitely tested to the breaking point. They broke them. They broke the values. They broke everything, right? So they predicted that 100% true, folks. Again, that's social engineering, because if they engineered the fake crisis across the West, then the West had no option but to play inside the live-action role-play. And so they began to socially engineer people. They now have half of the population of the West ready to jump back into a high school theater production of Pandemic Land anytime they want to do that. They can pull it off. All right, it says number eight, by the 2030s, we'll be ready to move humans towards the red planet. What's more, once we get there, we'll probably discover evidence of alien life, writes Ellen Stoffen, chief scientist at NASA. Big science will help us to answer big questions about life on Earth, as well as opening up practical applications for space technology. If you seriously believe that these people, the technocrats, are going to put you on a rocket and ship you off to colonize Mars where you're going to hang out with aliens at a bar taking shots of whiskey, friends, you are sadly mistaken. Now, only one of two things is going on here. Either the elites are going to Mars, and then they're going to nuke us, or the entire project is completely and totally fake, and it's just a giant distraction while these guys go underground, and then they nuke us. Who the hell knows? But something crazy is going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. So these are the eight predictions that the World Economic Forum, the Technate, made in 2016, about 2030. And you can see all of this stuff that they predicted is coming true far before 2030 folks i think you can see that right so as i said the stuff that they're proposing here is the same proposals that came out of the technocracy it's all the same thing scientists and engineers socially engineering the world into their total control system very easy how they do this folks all right i'm gonna pull up Another video, and I'm going to have to narrate this one as well. This is a World Economic Forum video called, Can You Rent Everything You Need in Life? And this is very important. You have to understand this, the whole idea of the circular economy. All right, let's go. Can you rent everything you need in life? Recent years have seen massive growth in the rental economy. The first tool library opened in the 1970s in California, with more now popping up in cities around the world. These work much like a normal library, but you're borrowing much more than just books. 
At the Toronto Tool Library, you can borrow anything from a wrench to a lawnmower. Or use a 3D printer or laser cutter. Saving you money and preventing waste in the process. Projects like London's Library of Things are changing the way we consume. The upshot is that you get the things you need and want with less debt and less waste. Is 50 years? Maybe we won't own anything. Sorry, in 50 years. Like, comment, share. WEF, the World Economic Nazi Headquarters. All right, folks, you see that? So they're floating the idea now in 50 years, maybe we won't own everything. Everything will be a rental-based economy. Now, when we come back, I'm going to show you how this ties in to the technocratic policies coming out of Technocracy, Inc., going back to the 1930s. This stuff was already written about. It was already decided almost a hundred years ago exactly a hundred years ago if you go back to the original uh founding of this technocratic idea in 1919 so a little over 100 years ago 103 years ago this stuff was already decided the world economic forum is just the marketing arm right now and as i've said they act as a chamber of commerce between the so-called public and private sectors and they're pulling them together folks it's one entity. The public and private sectors make up the technate. That's how all this stuff is getting done without one ballot being cast because it's being implemented through the private sector. That's why your vote does not matter. It is an illusion, an illusion of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, when we get back, I will show you what the technocracy said about this, this rental economy going back to 19. 19- 33. I'll be right back, folks. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, so open up here on the screen for the video viewers over at pain.tv slash gold. I am at the uh, Technocracy Study Guide, page 242, section 23.4. And this is under Lesson 23, Design and Operation. And this section is called Transportation. Now, I'm going to skip around a little bit in here because it's a little bit lengthy. But I'm going to read from some of this because I want you to understand the ideology that goes behind this rental-based economy, this circular economy that the World Economic Forum is talking about. Okay, so the reason why you need to understand this, folks is because this is where you will own nothing and you will be happy comes from. And you should understand this is more than just a meme so you can actually explain it to people what this actually means. It's not just an idea being floated by the World Economic Forum. This is actually going to happen. This is the direction it's going in. It was decided on 100 years ago. So I'm going to bounce around in here a little bit. 
It says, consider transportation under such a mode of control. Transportation falls naturally into two major classes, passenger and freight. Passenger transportation requires, in general, speed, safety, and comfort. Freight transportation may be either fast or slow, depending on the nature of the goods being transported. For passenger transportation, the principal modes of conveyance are rail, water, highway, or air. For freight transportation, there may be added to the above modes of conveyance a fifth pipeline and perhaps a sixth wire. The transmission of energy over a high-tension power line and the shipment of coal by freight car are both direct are both different aspects of the same thing, namely the transportation of energy. And then it gets into freight transportation, which we're not going to talk about at this point, folks. All right. So we're going to go down through the freight transportation. It says uh, we're going to passenger. In the matter of passenger transportation, the same criteria would be used in the design and operation of passenger equipment as elsewhere. Trains involving the least energy cost per passenger mile would be operated. It goes without saying that such trains would be the lightest, the most streamlined, and the most efficiently powered that could be built. Whether diesel electric power units mounted on the trains themselves or whether power derived from stationary central power plants will prove to be the most efficient and hence the preferred mode of uh, propulsion is still to be determined. Since by far the greater number of passenger miles of transportation are delivered by automobiles operating on public highways, particular significance attaches to this mode of transportation. To appreciate the importance of automobiles in our national economy, one needs only to consider that in 1923, passenger automobiles in the United States had an installed horsepower capacity of approximately 453 million horsepower. All the other prime movers combined at that time were only 231 million horsepower, giving a grand total of 684 horsepower of prime movers. By 1929, this grand total reached over 1 billion of installed horsepower, with automobiles occupying as great, if not greater, proportion as in 1923. In 1923, the horsepower capacity of passenger automobiles was 66% of the total of all the prime movers in the country. By that year, the number of passenger automobiles was about 30 13 million. By 1929, this had reached 23 million with the horsepower per automobile increasing simultaneously. You see, I told you, they have it all figured out, folks. This is it, all their formulas. Everything in the world will be run by science and engineering. This is technocracy. Why do you think they have the chips in all the cars, the computers in the cars, these EV cars? Why do you think they want the ability to turn your car on and off? It says, now getting back to load factors. We have already remarked that the average load factor of all automobiles is only about 5%. This means, then, that at the present, we have approximately 800 million installed horsepower in passenger automobiles alone, which are operating only about 5% of the time. Or it means that if we could step this load factor up to 50% or 10 times what it is now, we could obtain the same number of passenger miles with one-tenth of the automobiles now in operation. There is a corresponding problem involved in the design and servicing of automotive vehicles. Today, there are about two dozen separate makes of automobiles being built in the United States. This means that as many different factories have to operate and that a corresponding number of complete systems of garages and service stations must be maintained. 
The factors that are uppermost in present-day automotive design are those of flashy appearance and other uh, superficialities that make for ready sales. While it is a carefully seen to that the wearing qualities are kept low enough to ensure a quick turnover because of the short life of the product. To this end, all sorts of fake devices are used, the latest of which is fake streamlining. In the matter of fuel efficiency, by far the most efficient type of internal combustion engine is the diesel, which operates on fuel oil or distillate. Although automobile and airplane diesels have long since been proven to entirely, uh, entirely practical, they have for a number of years past been carefully withheld from use in automobiles. There is, however, a limit to the extent to which so fundamental and advanced as diesel engines can be withheld, and now, at last, the dam has broken. In trucks, tractors, and buses, diesels have been coming in at a very rapid and accelerating rate during the past two years, and now one manufacturer announces a diesel motor as an optional choice in an automobile. While it is true that a part of the phenomenally low cost of diesel operation at present is the low cost of fuel oil, and that as the demand for this increases, the monetary price will rise. The fact still remains, however, that diesels do the same work for fewer gallons of fuel than any other engines in existence. All right, so let me just stop there for a second. You see how they have all this stuff figured out? This is why I'm telling you, when you see you will own nothing and you will be happy in a meme that comes out of World Economic Forum, there is an entire ideology that was well thought out by the scientists and engineers before that little meme came 100 years later from the World Economic Forum. So I'm going to continue with this because we're going to get to the part that you need to hear. It says, under an energy uh, criterion, it follows that all automotive vehicles would be powered with the most efficient prime movers that could be designed, high-speed diesels, unless and until something better can be devised. The same considerations would apply to all the various trick devices for ensuring rapid obsolescence and turnover in vogue today. To care for these and other defects of the function of automotive transportation necessities, a complete revision from the ground up. Consequently, to improve the load factor, it will be necessary to put all automobiles under a unified control system whereby they are manufactured, serviced, and superintended by the automotive branch of the transportation sequence. All right, so they're going to put all the cars under this department controlled by the technate. It says this means in the first place that there would be only one basic design of automobile. That is, all automobiles that were built would have interchangeable parts, such as motors, wheels, chassis, springs, etc., except insofar as they differed in those elements of design, fitting them for different uses. In these minor differences, there would be as many different varieties as there were uses, such as two-passenger and five-passenger capacity, light trucks, and similar variations. It goes without saying that in accordance with our uh cri- uh sorry it's broken up here criterion of last energy cost the cars would be really streamlined which would require that the engine be placed in the rear rather than the front they would be powered with the most efficient power unit that could be devised see so they're going to take over control of the cars there'll be no more unique cars everything will be exactly the same all controlled by the government by the state by the technate 
It says, as regards use of the automobiles, the change of administration would be even more profound. Whereas at the present time, one buys an expensive automobile and leaves it parked the greater part of the time in front of his house as evidence of conspicuous consumption. The automobiles that we are speaking of would have to be kept in operation. The automobiles, that uh, this would be accomplished by instituting what would resemble a national drive-it-yourself system. The automotive branch of transportation would provide a network of garages at convenient places all over the country from which automobiles could be had at any hour of the night or day. No automobiles would be privately owned. When one wished to use an automobile, he would merely call at the garage, let's see, present his driver's license, and a car of the type needed would be assigned to him. When he was through with the car, he would return it either to the same garage or to any other garage that happened to be convenient and surrender his energy certificates and payment for the cost incurred while he was using it. You see that? So now the government, the state, the technate takes over and they own and control all the cars and you just rent the car from the state. Now, we know there's variations of this that have been tested over time, right? You have Enterprise, you have budget rental car services, and then you had these companies like Zip where you'd go pick up a car that was parked in a garage and you use it. It was like a gig app of cars. So they had all this thought out back 100 years ago. It says the details of this cost accounting for automotive transportation are significant. The individual no longer pays for the upkeep of the car or for its fueling or servicing. All this is done by the automotive branch of the division of transportation. That's part of the technique. In this manner, a complete performance and cost record of every automotive vehicle is kept from the time it leaves the factory until the time when it is finally scrapped and the metal that it contains is returned to the factory for refabrication. In this manner, the exact energy cost per mile car for the automotive transportation of the entire country is known at all times. Similar information is available on the length of life of automobiles and of tires. With such information in the hands of the research staff, it becomes very definite as to which of various designs is the superior or the inferior in terms of physical cost per mile per car. The total cost of automotive transportation includes, of course, the cost of manufacturing the automobile. If, for instance, the average life of an automobile were 300,000 miles, the total cost for these 300,000 miles would be the cost of manufacturing the automobile plus its total cost of operation and maintenance during its period of service. The average cost per mile, therefore, would be this total cost, including the cost of manufacture, divided by the total distance traveled, in this case, 300,000 miles. Now listen, that might sound like a good program for you, but at the end of the day, when you go to rent a car and the government tells you you can't, or there isn't one, or let's say this, folks, let's say they figured out a model where you buy an electric car, or any kind of car, and it's parked at your, let's say they take all gas cars off the road, make it illegal, and then there's all the EV cars, and we know they can only build a small percentage of the EV cars that are needed. Those would then go into this government fleet, or, or you would have one, but they would limit your ability to use it because they would turn the computer off and they'd tie this into your CBDC or your UBI, your carbon credit energy certificates, and they'd shut your car off so that you can't drive it, folks. See how this works? Let's just continue. It says, where there are millions of automobiles involved, the same type of computation is used. In this case, the average cost per mile would be the average cost for the millions of cars instead of for only one. 
This would be the total cost of manufacture, operation, and maintenance of all automobiles of a given kind divided by the total miles of service rendered by these cars. Since automotive costs can best be kept uh, low by maintaining high operating load factors, it becomes necessary that all automobiles be kept as a continuous operation as is practical. In other words, automobiles when away from the garages should be in operation and not parked uh, ostentatiously in front of somebody's house. This can be taken care of rather efficiently by charging the individual for the use of automobile on a mileage time basis as follows. One, if while the automobile is out it's uh, uh, is out its operation has been maintained at a rate equal to or greater than the national load factor of all automobiles charges made on a mileage basis only two if the load factor of the car while out is not kept equal to the average load factor the charge is made on the basis of the number of miles that the car would have traveled during that time had it operated at a rate equal to the average national load factor for automobiles so since they're trying to constantly keep everything operating 20 24 7 you will be penalized if you rent that car for two hours but you don't drive 100 miles or 50 miles or whatever they deem to be the average uh, of operating that vehicle at the highest rate possible so you will be charged you will be penalized for not using that car for the fullest extent it says suppose for instance that the average national load factor for all automobiles were such that each car traveled on the average 240 miles each 24 hours or an average of 10 miles per hour now if a person had an automobile out and he used it an average of 10 miles or more per hour he would be charged for mileage only if however he kept the car 24 hours and only drove it 30 miles he would be charged for 240 miles for that is the distance the car should have traveled in 24 hours the simple provision uh, uh, proviso has the dual effect of improving the load factor of all automobiles and at the same time reducing the average cost per mile by making the delinquents pay for keeping automobiles out of service you see that you see how everything is figured out folks and you're being penalized if you don't fit in to the norm and the norm is based on maximum efficiency of the use of energy and the use of the machines and you will be penalized if you do not comply with this folks unbelievable is it not now you can see you will own nothing and you will be happy no i think it's you will own nothing and you will be charged out your ass if you don't comply with the technate with the state with these prison planet wardens folks now these are not just bumper sticker slogans you have the truth you have the facts you're armed with the information that goes behind everything we've been talking about these are where the ideas come from this is where this stuff was written about where it was decided on this is it folks it was birthed out of these documents from technocracy incorporated growing out of columbia university ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dust to gold with the dust to gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dust and gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. 
All right, folks, I was deciding over the quick break. So, you know, when, when I do these breaks, because on the public side, they have to stick in the ads. I mean, that's how we keep the lights on here. But I do these breaks, and I have like a 60-second clock in there. And it gives me a chance to check my notes, flip through my resources, take a sip of tea, and decide what I want to do next. So as we're getting to the end here and wrapping up, I decided I don't want to get into the circular economy. Uh, That comes out of this new school of thought, and it really brings to fruition what they talked about going back 100 years ago. So I'm going to open up the next episode, 85, with the circular economy. And then I'm going to get into... A little bit of the history of technocracy from 1919 to 1933. I just want to show you the uh, beginnings of technocracy incorporated just so you understand some of the players behind it because it's philosophers and authors and economists and scientists and engineers and as you learn tonight that they went out there and they really pumped this ideology into the mainstream and you can understand how we've come to adopt this a system of social control social engineering by the scientists and the engineers and the technologists that's all we see in the works today they just were successful with all of that so what i want to do now because you understand the you will own nothing and you will be happy and where that comes from and how everything inside this technique going back 100 years ago was all about this rental system. I just want to show you something that is near and dear to my heart. It relates to this. It's not going to be a direct tie-in. But I told you I had to do gig work. I was working mainly for Instacart uh, between my divorce time and COVID land, the high school theater production. And my ex-wife and I had a fairly successful uh, photography studio in Nashville, Tennessee, and that had to shut down in the early parts of COVID, and it really got hurt because people were afraid to come in and get their pictures taken because they might get COVID. And so I ended up having to do gig work. And then uh, I continued it until my divorce was over. And so I still run into a lot of people in gig work. I tried to make them aware of this. I've warned people on Mike Payne's show going back a couple of years. I've warned people on my show that it's a trap. They're driving people into the gig economy, and they're able to throttle them and regulate how much money they make. They're able to stop them. Like, you know, I I was at a point in this area I could make $400 a day. People I know now are going out there, they're making $80 in a day. So I go on the national Facebook groups, and I take a look sometimes and see people posting and Everybody across the country is hurting, so you'll have people here, they don't check the groups, you'll hear them talking, and they're sitting there saying, you know, this is crazy, why is it a dead day today? And I'm like, well, apparently it's a dead day out in Los Angeles, California, too. No, what's happening is they are now regulating people's ability to make money, they've trapped them inside of this system, these people are inside one of the ghettos built inside the technate. That's all it is, folks. So right now up on the screen, I have Klaus Schwab's book from 2016. I've referenced it a lot on this show. It's called The False Industrial Revolution. But I just want to read you a piece from it so people understand that this isn't happening by happenstance, folks. This is all planned. It's all planned. Uh, All of it grows out of Technocracy Incorporated and the original blueprints, and then it is transformed and put into modern day. But this is written in 2016, section 3.1.3, the nature of work. So if you're in gig work or you know someone in gig work, you know, now you'll understand what is happening to you 
and this was all decided on in 2016. I mean, earlier than that. But when Klaus Schwab wrote this book, this was disseminated amongst all of the business leaders and everyone inside the current technocracy uh, in the leadership, the prison planet warden infrastructure. It says the emergence of a world where the dominant work paradigm is a series of transactions between a worker and a company more than an enduring relationship was described by Daniel Pink 15 years ago in his book, Free Agent Nation. This trend has been greatly accelerated by technological innovation. Today, the on-demand economy is fundamentally altering our relationship with work and the social fabric in which it is embedded. More employers are using the, quote, human cloud, end quote, to get things done. I told you, that's what he calls gig work, the human cloud. Professional activities are dissected into precise assignments and discrete projects and then thrown into virtual cloud of aspiring workers located anywhere in the world. This is the new on-demand economy, where providers of labor are no longer employees in the traditional sense, but rather independent workers who perform specific tasks. And I told you, it's very dangerous because whether you're in labor work or whether you're in creative work, you're doing your uh, sales through Etsy or through Fiverr.com, you're putting all of your work and your ability to earn money, uh, revenue, to put food on the table inside of your home on the technocrats because they can throttle you and they could turn you off at any point. You're not really building a book of business, local clients that you sell directly to. You're relying on the technocrats to bring you clients. If they can bring you clients, they can take them away. What the technocracy giveth, the technocracy can taketh away, folks. As Aaron uh, Sunderharian, professor at the Stern School of Business at New York University, put in a New York Times column by journalist Farhad Manju, quote, we may end up with a future in which a fraction of the workforce will do a portfolio of things to generate an income. You can be an Uber driver, an Instacart shopper, an Airbnb host, and a task rabbit, end quote. Yeah, you're just, it's called the hustle. It is, it's a hustle. It goes on, and you're hustling and breaking your balls and working hard. These are not lazy people, folks. A lot of them got trapped in this. Most of the ones I know are very, very hard workers. They dedicate their life to this. They're addicted to it, actually, because there's so much gamification inside of these apps. They are really the guinea pigs for, I think, what's going to be the CBDC UBI system. But it says the advantages for companies and particularly fast-growing startups in the digital economy are clear. As human cloud platforms classify workers as self-employed, they are, for the moment, free of the requirement to pay minimum wages, employer taxes, and social benefits. As explained by Daniel Callahan, chief executive of MBA and Company in the UK, in a Financial Times article, quote, you can now get whoever you want, whenever you want, exactly how you want. And because they're not employees, you don't have to deal with employment hassles and regulations, end quote. Yeah, it's called the slave system. Again, because these people are supposedly self-contractors, but you're not building a book of business. You have nothing other than what you might have saved when Instacart cuts you off. You have nothing. You don't have clients you can go to. It's not like your boss fired you and then you go, screw you, pal. I'm going to go start my own consulting business in the same area. You are not. You don't do that because you don't have clients. Instacart just sends you the gig. You do the job. You drop it off. It's over. 
For the people who are in the cloud, the main advantages reside in the freedom to work or not and the unrivaled mobility that they enjoy by belonging to a global virtual network. Some independent workers see this as offering the ideal combination of a lot of freedom, less stress, and greater job satisfaction. Although the human cloud is in its infancy, there is already substantial anecdotal evidence that it entails silent offshoring. Silent because human cloud platforms are not listed and do not have to disclose their data. Is this the beginning of a new and flexible work revolution that will empower any individual who has an internet connection and that will eliminate the shortage of skills? Or will it trigger the onset of an inexorable race to the bottom in a world of unregulated virtual sweatshops? If the result is the latter, the sweatshops, a world of precariat a social class of workers who move from task to task to make ends meet while suffering a loss of labor rights bargaining rights and job security would this create a potent source of social unrest and political instability finally could the development of the human cloud merely accelerate the automation of human jobs so what old klaus is talking about here is will it create a scenario where the overseers of the technocratic system take such advantage of the people that they will rise up social unrest they will come out and start fighting you know will it backfire on us or is it going to accelerate human automation you know the automation of human jobs basically robots and self-driving cars which is eventually where they'd love to go with this it goes on to say the challenge we face is to come up with new forms of social and employment contracts that suit the changing worse workforce and the evolving nature of work. We must limit the downside of the human cloud in terms of possible exploitation while neither curtailing the growth of the labor market nor preventing people from working in the manner they choose. If we are unable to do this, the fourth industrial revolution could lead to the dark side of the future of work, which Linda Grattan, a professor of management practice at London Business School, describes in her book, The Shift, The Future of Work is Already Here, Increasing Levels of Fragmentation, Isolation, and Exclusion Across Societies. And as Klaus says, as I state throughout this book, the choice is ours. It entirely depends on the policy institutional decisions we make. One has to be aware, however, that a regulatory backlash could happen, thereby reasserting the power of the policy makers in the process and straining the adaptive forces of a complex system. And so he lays out their options to run a digital sweatshop slave state or to create some kind of balance. And so you're starting to see regulations being talked about now, basically forcing the tech companies to turn the people into employees, which frankly, that's a giant trap as well. Because what will end up happening is then they will limit these folks. Uh, most of them, like me, I would go out there from 5 o'clock in the morning and work until about 8 o'clock at night. I was in the middle of a divorce. I didn't have kids, nothing to worry about. So I figured I was rebuilding. I told my ex to keep everything. And so I figure while it was going on, I'll save up some money. And so I go out there and I work all the time. Well, if they force them to take them on as employees, then those people are going to be shut out to less than 32 hours, just like a lot of companies did under Obamacare. So it creates another set of problems. And then these people are stuck in the gig world, but they don't even have the illusion they can make a lot of money because they're going to be regulated on the amount of hours they could work. I mean, it's pretty obvious what's going on. But the important part you need to pull from this 
is that one, this is a form of the technocracy, controlling the workforce, controlling the hours, controlling all of that stuff from the level of the technate, not from the level of independent mom-and-pop companies. That's what you're seeing here. But listen to what Klaus says in the close of this chapter. One has to be aware, however, that a regulatory backlash could happen. All right, that's what he's talking about. So if you take advantage, he's telling the technates, the technocrats, if they take advantage of the people too much, there could be a regulatory backlash. This is what John and I were talking about. There's uh, road bumps, I mean, speed bumps, roadblocks, hiccups in this system, right? So, but listen to what it says after the comma here. Thereby uh, reasserting the power of policymakers in the process and straining adaptive forces of a complex system. The complex system is the technate. <clears throat> and what it's saying is thereby, so if we take advantage too much and there's a regulatory backlash, we are reasserting the power of policymakers in the process. Meaning then these politicians that you know damn well that Howard Scott did not want around, all right, they did not want politicians, we could now regain power by looking like the populace standing up to protect the people, therefore taking some of the power away from the unelected technocrats, you see, so there is somewhat of a power struggle behind the decaying system, the illusion of parliamentary system or a constitutional republic, and the scientists and engineers, the scientists and engineers are running their play from the outside, really from the inside in the bureaucracy from the fact that they're government partners but they don't want these puppets these politicians to reassert any power and put any kinks in their system you see they don't want to have any uh straining of the adaptive forces of this complex technique they are in the process of building it they are trying to get it into full-blown action and so they don't need any problems so what he's doing is he's warning them don't take too much of an advantage of these idiots these useless humans you have out there running around inside the human cloud because if you do some of these politicians may try to step in and reassert their power looking like they're protecting the people and that could end up being a speed bump on the road Road to the full-blown tech date. All right, everybody. Hope you had a wonderful election day. I hope your guy, your lady, your trans person, whatever it may be, your non-binary candidate, whatever it was, won the election so that in two weeks from now, you could see them vote for the first time, realize that you hate them, bitch and moan about it, and then say you're going to work for the next two years to throw the traitor out of office. Remember, these people are not traitors. They are not backstabbers. They are not sellouts. They are not Trojan horses. They are what they are. You voted for them. You put them into power. You actually exerted energy. You would have been charged to go to the polling place under the technocracy. You exerted energy to go and vote for someone who was a liar, a criminal, a thief, a hijacker, a pirate, and a gutter snipe right up front. You assumed or you wanted to believe they were a good person. So then when they backstab you, you call it backstabbing when in fact what they were doing was front stabbing you because they told you they were going to stab you the day that they declared their candidacy to go work inside of the government. That's how you know they're a horrible, terrible, filthy person. So ladies and gentlemen, have a great election day. I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world, built 
to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. 